Hi, and welcome to Dutch the Podcast. I'm Mike. There's Tom Byfoot. Hi, Tom. Hey, Mike. How are you? Good. Thanks so much. Uh, excited about today's show, of course. Uh, I want to remind you, uh, if you are a fan of the show, don't forget to subscribe, tell a friend about it, leave your comments, and of course, your questions, always welcome at uh, DutchTheMedia.com, where you will Look. find exciting things happening all the time. It's the home of Dutch the Magazine, Dutch the Podcast, and, and Mocum Publishing including De Krant, which means, I think I might be cueing you, Tom. Okay, which means that um, we'd love to hear your feedback, as Mike says, at DutchTheMedia.com. And, you know, we've got listeners to this podcast all over the world. There's Dutch people everywhere, as we it's well true. know. But, you know, the magazine, uh, the print magazine, that beautiful glossy print magazine that I sent to the printer today, the March-April issue with some really interesting content. Maybe we'll get to it, maybe not, because we've got a great guest waiting uh, for us. But the magazine, we've only been mailing, really, in uh, Canada and the U.S., uh, mm -hmm. simply because of the mailing costs of the magazine, right, Mike? Uh, you understand that, um, you know, to, to actually, uh, to give you an example, current price for an overseas subscription for only six issues is $150. We can't help it. That's what it costs to ship it overseas. But... For less than $30, you can now get an online, digital-only subscription to Dutch the Magazine anywhere in the world. You can flip through the magazine right there on, on, on your tablet? It's beautiful. You can see it on your tablet. You can see it on your laptop. You can see it on your phone. Uh, it reads just like uh, the magazine does. Um, the wow. only thing is you, you're not holding paper in your hands. But for half the price even of a North American subscription, you can get a digital subscription. And tell you what, Mike, we've been doing this for a while now, right? Mm -hmm. um, we've covered some very interesting uh, topics. Some of these topics we covered uh, were extensions of articles in the magazine or related to articles in the magazine. Yeah. So we've published since we launched in the fall of 2011. So that's a while back. Um, wow. Since yeah. then, we've published hundreds of articles about the Netherlands, about Dutch people, about Dutch culture, recipes, four or five recipes in every single issue. As part of your digital subscription, $29.50 a year, you get all those back issues. Oh, wow. In digital format, online. Wow. Isn't that cool? That's fantastic because the magazine, it, it, there's so much evergreen content in there. Uh, wonderful stories and interviews and and people who have, have left us that left their mark in, in this magazine and in, in this wonderful publication and that it's available this way now. Uh, congratulations to us all. And, and uh, to those people that we hear from through the podcast uh, who love the magazine idea, but don't have access to it. Well, now you do. Congratulations. That's, yeah, that's fantastic news. So, so go to DutchTheMedia.com. Um, you can sign up, you can take out a uh, digital subscription, um, pay with your credit card or PayPal or whatever works best for you. And you will have access to literally that whole back catalog. Now, one uh, thing I have to mention, it takes a little while to upload all the back copies. So we're, uh, we've got four years up now, but uh, my commitment is we will have uh, uh, the full, uh, where are we, 13 years uh, by the time uh, this is going out. Wow. 13 years, six issues a year, 50 pages an issue, a huge amount of content. Oh, that's fantastic. And uh, as we say, a, a vast audience now has uh, has access to all of it. So that's fantastic. 
Uh, all right, well, let's contribute to this content today. We have another interview. Tom, who are we speaking with today? Uh, we're speaking with Arthur, Arthur Bourse. Uh, and Arthur has just published a book, a memoir, uh, about his own life. And he is Dutch, of course, otherwise we probably wouldn't be talking about him. He That's grew fair. up as, um, he was born in Canada. Um, yeah. he, his parents immigrated from uh, the Netherlands. And he had a very fraught relationship with his dad, uh, which... Uh, as an interesting parallel, actually, with my uh, my dad as well, both men um, were um, sent to the uh, Dutch East Indies after World War II, came back with uh, differing levels of post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, they weren't recognized in the Netherlands. When they got back, they were basically told, you know, suck it up, get on with your life, which caused a lot of rage. Well, Arthur felt a lot of that rage personally. Um, and and we should really listen to his story about it. But what's really very impressive uh, and, and interesting about the story is how um, Arthur processed his youth in his later life. He is now um, an Anglican uh, pastor, an Anglican priest. He, he grew up uh, in, um, in a Dutch Reformed uh, environment, um, and he, he did something that was very typically Dutch uh, for his dad. His dad had a company uh, which built greenhouses. Now, that's, oh. of course, something we've talked about before. So um, his, um, his memoir is called Shattered, uh, which directly refers back to, uh, to the glass um, in, in many different ways. Um, and, you know, maybe we should listen to, uh, to Arthur first and, uh, and, uh, then, uh, afterwards we can maybe pick up the pieces. Okay. Uh, let's enjoy that interview now. We're, we're talking to, uh, Arthur Boris. Welcome to Dutch, the podcast, Arthur. Uh, great to have you on the show. Um, and, uh, let's dive straight in. I, I went to your website. Um, let's mention it, uh, arthurboris.com. Uh, and there you use the tagline, uh, Pilgrim, Paddler, Author. What is, what's that mean? Who is Arthur Boers? Let's, let's start there. Okay, so I call myself a pilgrim because I've been a seeker all my life. I've been yearning all my life. I've, I've always believed there's something more than just what we see. And so I've always been interested in you know, spirituality and religion and God and all that kind of stuff. And uh, that was true already when I was a child. And eventually I became uh, a minister as a result. And uh, I, I've also taught at a seminary as a result of that. So I've always had that. And then Pilgrim, I, I, I probably would have called myself a Pilgrim for a long time, but it, it especially came into force in 2005 when I walked the Camino de Santiago, the pilgrimage route in Spain. Um, a trip that really, no exaggeration, changed my life and uh, changed my perspective on many, many different things. I did write a book about that called The Way is Made by Walking. Um, but it continues to inform me and I continue to learn uh, new things all the time. And my worldview keeps getting shaken up. I'm 66 now and there's still things that I'm waking up to, partly in connection with the book. And we'll talk about that later. And then uh, I'm... I'm one of the things I love, I love being outdoors. I love hiking. I hiked the Bruce Trail in Ontario, and um, that's what led me to walk the Camino de Santiago in Spain. And then for a time, I was living in Indiana, and where I lived in Indiana, it was very flat, so hiking was boring. And so one of my friends said, well, you should try paddling. And so I became a paddler. First, I had a kayak, and then I had a canoe, and I also have a stand-up paddleboard now. 
And uh, so I just, I love to paddle and we have a place a couple hours north of Toronto on a river. I call the river Glad River and I like, I like to paddle on that river. And uh, it's just one of the happiest things that I do in my life. And then I also call myself an author because all my life I've been interested in writing. When I was 12, I already wrote a novel, which, you know, never saw the light of day and should not see the light of day. But, you know, I've worked at my writing ever since then. And uh, writing is a big priority for me. Oh, that's great. Is, is that, by the way, the river behind you that we uh, see for those of us uh, looking on, uh, watching on YouTube? Oh, that's a, that's a painting that, uh, that does display uh, my love of water, but it's a painting from an artist in Mississauga. And that's actually the lakeshore in, in Mississauga, as I understand. Okay. Yeah, I love, I, okay. love, I love water. I love rocks. And I love Canadian Shield. It's my favorite geography. I went on the train across Canada last year. And, and it was a great trip. The whole thing was wonderful. But my favorite part was looking at Canadian shield geography. Yeah, and, and that you write about that in your in your latest book, uh, Shattered. Um, yeah. And and let's get to that, because that's uh, really what we want to talk about in this uh, podcast. You've written many books over the decades, but uh, Shattered um, uh, really interested me for Dutch, the podcast, because it's got this Dutch theme. Um, could you... Uh, take us through the subject matter and, and, and also maybe what prompted you to, to write the book. Sure. So yeah, as you've said, I've been writing books for a long time for, for over 30 years. And most of those books would be considered kind of teaching books, um, pastoral theology books, exploring church conflict or the Lord's prayer or theology of leadership, all kinds of different things. But um, about 10 years ago, I thought I would like to write a book about my childhood. It would be a very different kind of book, more of a memoir kind of book. And um, I thought there were three interesting things that about my childhood. One is I grew up in this Dutch culture as a third culture kid. I'm sure you'll want to talk more about that with me, and I'd be glad to do so. I thought that'd be worth exploring. Uh, I also was already very religious. Uh, as I mentioned, I was religious as a child. I had mystical experiences as a child. I thought that that would be worth exploring. And then I also wanted to write about my, the mystery of my father. My father was a brilliant man, had a graded education, uh, came to Canada as a young man, started a very successful business, developed an unusual uh, form of greenhouses that were really well suited to North America. And they went all over North America, but eventually they were exported around the world, including to the Netherlands, which was his great coup to go back to the homeland. And um, so he's a, he was a, a brilliant man. He's quite funny. He loved music. I loved him a lot. But he was also a tortured and anguished man. So he had great struggles with anger. And, uh, and he abused alcohol. And he was violent on occasion. And um, so I had this mystery. I was trying to explore this mystery of my dad. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll explore that in the book as well. And I did end up writing about all three themes in the book. But the most important really is the mystery of my father and the relationship with my father. Eventually I realized that he had PTSD and um, it was something that I, we didn't know about when I was a kid. And really I hadn't, it had not occurred to me until I started writing this book. And then I saw that that really explained a lot of what went on for my father. 
Yeah, that's interesting, and and I'm, I'm sure we'll get to that. Um, and and there's some parallels uh, to my own life there that that really uh, made the book extra interesting for me. Um, but let's let's go to 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 you mentioned greenhouses. So you you called your book Shattered, and and on the back of the book, um, it uh, it says it's a sensitive and penetrating reflection on coming of age in a Dutch immigrant family. So there's that reflection. There's the shattering of glass. There's the reflectioning in. In glass, um, there's the pieces you talk about. Um, it's a recurring motif. You've you've built a lot of the story around glass reflections, water. Can you can you um, go into that in a, a bit more detail? Yeah, I'd be glad to do that. So as I was writing uh, this book, one one day I had a dream. I think I, I allude to the dream in the book. I had a dream of my father. He and I were in a greenhouse that had been shattered by a hailstorm, which happened occasionally. And uh, it meant insurance business. So it was good for my dad's business. But of course, he felt sorry for uh, greenhouse farmers. And so he and I were in this demolished greenhouse. And I picked up an old putty can. And I was going to start picking up uh, broken pieces of glass, which is actually the first job I ever did for my dad when I was 11. He would bring me to work sites. And I would clean up broken glass. And uh, so I was going to I was going to do that. And then my father said in the dream, that's OK, son. You don't have to do that anymore. And, you know, dreams are weird, right? Because they, they get at you in a slanted way. And um, when I woke up, I felt like the dream was telling me two things. And one was my dad was releasing me to do the work that I really needed to do. That is the writing of this book. So I was grateful for that. But also, as I thought about it, I realized, oh, my goodness, glasses throughout my life, throughout my my whole life. Uh, my my parents came from the Glasenstadt. Uh, which is an area of Holland means the glass city. And that's because there are just so many greenhouses, you know, you can go there and you'll see miles and miles of greenhouses, as you know, extending to the horizon. It's pretty amazing. Uh, my yeah, one it's in, in the Westland, right? Uh, just um, near, just south of uh, the Hague um, in that corner uh, on, on the coast. Correct. Near Hoek van Holland and all that kind of area. Yeah. So, um, and I do have a Frisian grandfather, but he spent, he did his agricultural apprenticeship in uh, the Glasenstadt. And among other things, um, a greenhouse that he was working in got shattered by a hailstorm. And he ate the peaches that fell to the ground. Those greenhouses were growing peaches because he was so hungry in the boarding house. He didn't have enough food. And the, and the peaches were laced, needled with broken glass. And so he had abdominal damage for decades, which wasn't really fixed. Well, he came here as an immigrant to Canada and they saved for the first year, they saved up a thousand dollars and then he had surgery done. That would have been 30, 30 something years after his accident. So my father and my father built greenhouses. He sold greenhouses, he sold glass. So that was a big part of our income. Uh, we worked with glass all the time and we've all had accidents in my family. We all have accidents with glass. I have I had stitches because of accidents with glass. I still have scars. And uh, my father had a lot of scars because he glazed with glass. And um, uh, there was something else I was going to tell you. But uh, that's an occupational hazard. You know, uh, I, I guess, as you describe it, you, you still have the scars to show for it. Right. Oh, yeah. And then my first memory of my dad, actually, is he threw a potted plant at my mother in the living room. I was three years old. And it went through the uh, picture window. So my first uh, image of my dad was uh, broken glass. So yeah, glass is everywhere. 
You you also start the book um, with a photograph uh, of you on um, it, was it your father's your grandfather's shoulders I believe right right yes and 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 that's also framed in glass again exactly yeah yeah I'm it's a picture that's framed in glass and I'm and my grandfather is lifting me up and he's lifting me up to this was in Holland I was in Holland as a baby and um, uh, he's lifting me up to a picture of my dad on the wall which is also behind glass. So you kind of see the three generations of men there in that photo. Yeah, and, and that's a beautiful, beautiful image uh, as you read through it as well. Um, mm -hmm. You mentioned you were a baby in Holland, but you were born in Canada, right? You were I, visiting uh, at the time. Yeah, um, my, 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 my dad, um, he, he uh, lost his job in 57. It was a really bad year economically. And so to save money, he and my mom went over to Holland for a few months and stayed with his parents. So, so, but you you were born in Canada, um, and you but you grew up very Dutch, and um, this this interests me also because I my parents were immigrants as well, but they returned to Holland after ten years abroad, uh, and I was four years old when we went back to Holland. So you often get that thought: you know, what if what if my life had been slightly different? What would have happened if I'd grown up an immigrant yeah. child? So can you talk a little bit about uh, what it was like to to grow up as a a, um, yeah, third culture kid, um, second generation Dutch in Canada. Yeah. So I grew up, we spoke Dutch at home. I was the oldest. And, uh, you know, for the first few years, I was the only one. So we only spoke Dutch at home. So Dutch is my first language. And uh, my parents gave me, this was the 1950s. Conformism was important. So they thought they should give me an English name, even though they really thought of themselves as Dutch. I was named after my grandfather, Ari, but they thought I should have an English name. So they named me Arthur. But of course, uh, with their strong Dutch accents, they couldn't actually pronounce my name. They called me Arthur. My mom still calls me Arthur. She's she's 90 years old. And to the day he died, my dad never never called me uh, Arthur. And in fact, I, I didn't even pronounce my name correctly. It wasn't until kindergarten that I learned how to say the TH and the, and the kindergarten teacher put her finger in my mouth finally to get me to put my tongue in the right place. So I had a very kind of strong sense of being Dutch and uh, we were proud of being Dutch and we kind of disdained other cultures and everybody else was Canadian. It doesn't matter whether they were Italian or Scottish or English or whatever. We kind of dismissed everybody as Canadian because they didn't do things in ways that made, made sense to us. And uh, yeah, I went to a Dutch denomination, a Dutch church. I was Christian Reformed Church. Everybody was Dutch. I went to a so-called Christian school, but everybody was Dutch. They were all Christian Reformed. Uh, we went to the Shell Station, which is, of course, a Dutch corporation. It was owned by a member of our church. And we'd pull up to the pumps, and there'd be other church members there. And our electrician was Dutch, and our uh, plumber was Dutch. They were brothers. They were members of our church. A block away from the Shell Station was the Dutch Credit Union. And there was also the Dutch store for Dutch dry goods. And there was also a Dutch electronics store. So we were kind of... Uh, even though we didn't all live in the same place, it was not quite a ghetto in that way. Uh, we were very sheltered. We were very just, we just hung around mostly with Dutch people. And and, and that's fascinating to me because, 
uh, the, um, uh, a professor called Arthur Schreier did a, a study of the Dutch immigrants in Ontario, a sociological study, and he at one point says uh, in the 1960s you would hear more Dutch spoken in downtown Grimsby, Ontario, than wow. you would English uh, on occasion. And you okay. grew up not far from Grimsby, right? St. Catharines and Niagara on the Lake, I believe. Okay. How? Uh, how vibrant was it? Well, you've basically explained already your Dutch stores, your Dutch gas station. How how widespread was it? How how did that bubble um, feel? Oh, well, there were Dutch people everywhere. So I ended up living in St. David's, small town of 500 near Queenston. I was there during my teen years. And while I was writing the book, I just counted up all the Dutch people I knew within a mile. And there were like between 12 and 15 uh, Dutch households. Uh, right there when we lived in an apartment in St. Catharines there were Dutch people right across the hall every, every every everybody who lived there were always Dutch so we were always aware of Dutch people and we were always looking out uh, for Dutch people especially Calvinist Dutch people um, Catholic Dutch people we weren't you know uh, we had some we're too interested in but uh, yeah they weren't as interesting yeah. too yeah so it was, it was very prevalent and as you know there are a lot of Dutch descendants here in Canada. So I'm running into Dutch. You know, I was in the airport recently. My my, my daughter and her um, son and our new granddaughter came from Oregon to visit. And I went into the airport to greet them. And uh, I started singing to my granddaughter, Kloppes in your hunches, and, uh, and there, was, there was a couple standing four feet away and they looked at me and they said, we know what that song means. They were Dutch people. I mean, we were always running into Dutch people. That's yeah, a lot. Yeah, and I, even, I, even I do as well. And because we're more recent immigrants, uh, I speak Dutch to my kids still. And uh, uh, we've got to be very careful not to uh, speak out of turn because there's almost always someone who can understand us. Yeah. So um, can I just get back to one more aspect of growing up Dutch? Yeah. Uh, you, you guys came in the 1950s, uh, and as we know, you know, half a million um uh, Dutch uh, people uh, left uh, the Netherlands in that period. 200,000 came to Canada. Uh, there's a million descendants now. Um, but you were um, seen by, let's call them real Canadians, um, as as uh, DPs, displaced persons, immigrants. You tell a story in your book about uh, the first time you your family rented the cottage in uh, in Muskoka for a brief vacation, uh, and you came into contact with some um, upper class Canadians. All right, yeah, yeah. My my parents felt it, and my dad actually felt it more keenly than than I did. Um, to be called DPs felt like a, a quite an insult. And actually, my my mom and her family came in '48, so they were among the really early uh, immigrants. My dad came. In '54, by himself. Yeah, yeah, and just just for our listeners, um, the the Dutch chose to immigrate. I mean, there was strong um, uh, stimulus from the government, both governments, Dutch and Canadians. Yeah. But the DPs were what we would nowadays call refugees or Correct. asylum seekers, and, and the Dutch view, did not view themselves as such. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So, and then, you know, when I was growing up, if you watched the news and watched the people in power, they tended to be people with English ancestry, you know, English speaking ancestry, Dutch, Scot, no, not Dutch, Scottish, English, Irish, whatever. And so, um, or maybe French Canadian. 
but you know, a lot of politicians, union leaders, business leaders. So there was this kind of elite. And I know my father really uh, resented that. And uh, we, we felt discriminated against at that time. Um, that's no longer a reality for, for Dutch people, I don't think. I, I certainly no. don't feel it. I don't, I don't think that's the case. There are other, there are other things going on. But that was well, a, it's odd, actually. Uh, it, it happened to me once, only once, since yeah. I've been in Canada now for 25 years. Um, when I got my first job, um, someone said, couldn't they found a Canadian for that job? And I think yeah. that's totally out of character. Let me clear. We are absolutely welcome, and Canada is a very welcoming country to uh, immigrants, refugees of all stripes. So yeah. nothing against that. It's just it, I noticed that um uh, in, in, in stories from people came a little earlier before yeah. multiculturalism, etc. Yeah, it's really changed. I mean, um, so my parents felt like they couldn't call me Ari because it was not an English name. So they gave me an English name they couldn't pronounce. Now it's okay to have any kind of name. Uh, and, you know, I don't mean that disparagingly, but I, you know, I listen to CBC and I hear that the names of reporters and announcers and I'm like, hmm, I wonder how to spell it. I have no idea how to spell it. It's such an unfamiliar yeah. name. And so that's more the norm now, and uh, I, you know, I feel very good about. It. I've, I've lived a lot in the states. Uh, I've lived mostly in Canada, and I prefer Canada for a number of reasons. And one is we're more welcoming to a wide diversity of people from around the world. Yeah, no, absolutely, and and it's it just different. Uh, interesting to see how that has changed over the years. Um, yeah. Let's let's get to your dad. Um, okay, so your dad lived. Uh, through World War II in the Netherlands, which we all know, we've spoken about it on the podcast several times, uh, was was a brutal experience. Um, my dad did as well. And then after the war, in 1945, when the Netherlands was uh, liberated, uh, to a large extent by um, Canadian troops, uh, mm-hmm. but also American and British, of course, and Polish, um, the Netherlands um, had this big colony, uh, the Dutch East Indies, and um, the Dutch East Indies had declared independence at the end of the war when the Japanese um, surrendered. And the Dutch did not want to grant that um, independence. And uh, an, uh, an armed force was sent over. And a lot of young Dutch men who just lived through that war uh, were sent over there to fight uh, the guerrilla insurgents. Mm-hmm. And this was a brutal war. Just, just for our listeners who, who are not aware of the history, mm-hmm. uh, those young men were sent over there uh, to fight a war that ultimately they lost. Um, that was an unjust war in a lot of things. There were a lot of atrocities on both sides. Um, let's be fair. These men came back, young men, boys, some, when they were sent, these men when they came back maybe. Um, mm-hmm. My dad was among them. Your dad was among them. Yeah. And when they got back to the Netherlands, they were almost ignored. They were basically told, suck it up, get on with your life. Yeah, you went to the Indies. Okay, we've all suffered. You know, uh, it was in that post-war period. And of course, almost all of these men suffered from PTSD. And and it was not a term that was used at the time, was known even at the time, um, but it informed the rest of their lives. And when I was reading your book, and and I've got to be honest, I put your book aside we met about a year ago when we talked about this. I put mm-hmm. it aside because I was a little afraid to start reading it um, right. because right. of what I would find out about myself, my relationship with my dad. Right. And there was this this recognition of 
attitudes, uh, the way of dealing with problems, the way of uh, approaching things that I recognized in your dad's story. And, and there's this underlying rage. Um, we hear a lot about transgenerational trauma these days. Um, would you consider uh, what you describe uh, transgenerational trauma or maybe not? Can you reflect on that maybe a little bit? Yeah, I'd probably start somewhere else. And if I don't answer your question, Absolutely. then bring me back. But yeah, I think the Indonesian piece is huge. Uh, a lot of a lot of people died, 90,000 in Indonesians died. And it was a war that did not get a lot of coverage. The world was war weary. And, you know, frankly, it wasn't white people who were dying. I think I think that's a race, that's a that's a, a component of how of how it was covered. And uh, my father went as a volunteer. He was very proud of being a volunteer. And all his life, he, he, he had really good friends who were also volunteers. So he had a, a real bond with them. And, you know, a lot of this mystified me until I really started thinking about uh, a PTSD. And that's where he started smoking. He had anger issues the rest of his life. He had nightmares um, for the rest of his life, all had to do with Indonesia. Uh, when I tell people about the Indonesian war and they've never heard of it, I say, well, look at footage from Vietnam. There's a lot of, there's a lot of similarity between, between those two. So um, there, there are a couple of things that I would say. One is one of the ways that I read what happened was traumatized, pe traumatized people, traumatized people. And so, and we see this, for example, um, between Israel and Gaza right now, we have two, severely traumatized groups and they're both severely traumatized and then they inflict trauma on each other and a little bit that's how i see what the dutch were doing they got their butts beat for five years from the nazis and then they went and beat somebody else's butts and so that's a kind of a human cycle that we have we see it over and over again people get liberation from trauma and then they often traumatize other folks so that's a very sad uh that's a sad and uh, tragic reality that happens I also, this also happens in families. So, you know, I know my great grandfather beat my grandfather. I know my grandfather beat my father and I know my father beat me. And, you know, we see that over and over that patterns of abuse get passed from generation to generation. And unless somebody decides to interrupt that and stop the violence or the trauma, it will not end. And so, yeah, I really do believe in intergenerational trauma and, um, I see it in the scriptures as well. I think it's at, you know, as a minister, of course, I, I see these things somewhat um, uh, theologically. But yeah, I, I really do believe in transgenerational trauma. Yeah, and and um, it's it's um, it's very interesting that you reflect on that trauma that then gets inflicted on someone else. Uh, I hadn't thought about it that way, um, oh, yeah. and I, I thought of my more on the individual level of mm -hmm. um, of the soldiers who came back. And yes, my dad was a volunteer as well. And I, I, you know, reading through it, I think there your dad and mine would have uh, had a lot of uh, touch points if they'd known. Well, and they may have even know, seen each other at reunions because they went yeah. to reunions all, all the yeah, time. Yeah, my dad went to the reunions and I'm like, why is he going to these reunions decades later? Um, well, it's one, one place where you could talk to people who had a similar experience and they got each other. But uh, you, they you understood know, each other, yeah. We, we met, you and I uh, met, we had some conversations, but we met face to face at the Netherlands Luncheon Club last year. And uh, I was out in the hall uh, with my books before the program, and several people came and talked to me about the book. And I said, I think my father had PTSD. And you know what the response was? 
was he in Indonesia? My father was in Indonesia. And uh, some of the boys from my Christian school from grade six have been contacting me. I haven't talked to them since they were 12 years old. And they're like, your story is very familiar. My father was in Indonesia. And did you know Rick's father was in Indonesia and John's father was in Indonesia? And so it's a really kind of prevalent thing, uh, especially when I'm in, 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 in Dutch contexts. It's coming up over and over again. The other thing that's interesting to me about this um, is that other immigrant groups and other refugees have started talking to me. So I've, I've done some workshops with a young therapist. She's in her mid-30s, and her specialty is second-generation Canadians and immigration and intergenerational trauma. Her parents are uh, refugees from uh, the Cultural Revolution in China, which you know is a very different yeah. uh, than mine, but there are parallel dynamics. And uh, she and I did a presentation one time and a young fellow, his parents were in the Hungarian Ref, uh, uh, revolution and were traumatized by that. And he was, he was comparing notes with me. So it's a very Dutch story and I'm glad to talk with Dutch people. I like being Dutch. I think you can tell that. Um, but it's also intriguing to me that a story like this, if you tell it well and dig deeply, it's going to resonate with other people. It's going to have parallels for other people's experience even if they're a different culture or a different era of history. I, I agree with you. And, and, and that's um, something that uh, I think this book is not for Dutch people. This is, book is for people in general. It's, it's, and, and you are very open. You really share a lot. You open up your soul to, uh, to the reader. Um, and and it, was, it was fascinating to read. Maybe um, we can get to um, your journey. You talk about yourself as a seeker. Um, you um, ex you weave your spiritual journey through the story of your youth, your childhood, your adulthood, um, and you start out in a Dutch um, reformed community. Now, from the book, you it, it's clear your your family was not central to that. Uh, you're more or less on the fringes of that. You'd occasionally go to the United Church. Um, you got involved with a Mennonite youth group. And then mm -hmm. ultimately you, you became an Anglican priest, uh, right. an Anglican pastor. Um, how, how does that fit? Can you, can you talk about that maybe a little bit? Sure. Well, that's a long, you know, that's a long story. <laughs> okay. Uh, but, you know, I think one of the things that I would say is that, yeah, I have, I have been thinking about this a lot. And um, I was, a, frankly, a little worried at first when um, the book tour took me to Christian reform contexts because I thought they would be annoyed with me because I didn't stay with the Christian Reformed. I left as a teenager, which was very unusual then. It was unusual for anyone to leave the church, but even more unusual for teenagers. But I've, I've, I'm getting a real welcome on the whole from Christian Reformed people because they feel like I am accurately reflecting things that happened and dynamics that happened. And of course, that church has changed a lot since I was a teenager. Um, so I'm very, I'm actually, I'm very grateful for the Christian Reformed uh, background. I went to Christian school for six years. Um, it, it formed me a lot. I learned a lot. I'm, I'm grateful for it. I think what I would say in retrospect is that Calvinism is a very cerebral theology. It's very much in the head. And um, I've always been kind of more of a mystical person and experiential person. And so, um, you know, I would argue with the minister about theology and uh, we wouldn't come to agreement. Um, and so that was part of my frustration, but it was really more, I was looking more for an experience of religious faith. And um, so it's the experience that drew me to other places. 
That's beautiful. Um, so uh, before we wrap up and talk a little bit about where you we can we can find your book, is there anything else you'd you'd like to uh, talk to or or add to the conversation? I've, I've, I've thank you so much for sharing so much. I, I've I've really enjoyed it. But is there anything else? Well, it's good to be with you. Thank you uh, for having me, and uh, I, I appreciate it very much. I really love this book. As I say, I've I've, I've written a number of books about. 10 books or so. And uh, I think this is my most beautiful and most important book. I'm astonished by the responses I'm getting from people who are interested and, uh, you know, want to go out for coffee with me or a meal and talk about and debrief the book. Total strangers, you know. Um, and so that, that's great. That's actually, I was going to ask you about that. So maybe specific, you mentioned um, other Dutch kids with uh, Indonesian veteran dads, but any other groups that you would say? You, you also talked about other cultures, but people who've gone through different traumas. Have you heard from Indian, Indonesia veterans at all themselves? I mean, they're, they'd be in their 80s and 90s now. Yeah. Uh, I have not heard from Indonesian veterans. But I'm going to Holland Christian Homes in a month or two to speak out the book and about the book, and I'm sure there will be some there, and also widows of of Indonesian uh, veterans. The other thing that is interesting to me is, uh, so I we live here in East York in Toronto. Um, I was going to say there are no Dutch people on the street, but actually there's a Frisian down the street named William. He and I talk about the book. We're about the same age, but um, there are people of a number of different ethnic groups on this block, and they came out to my book launch. And uh, they're interested in it because they know about family violence and family conflict and uh, family alienation. And so they're, they're drawing a lot of connections and parallels as a, as a result. Yeah, that's fantastic. So Arthur, um, for the listeners, where can they uh, get your book? Yeah, so Erdman's is a, a really respectable publisher. It has Dutch roots, of course. Um, about 100 years ago, based in Grand Rapids. You can order it directly from them, but also they're part of all the normal supply routes, so you can get it through independent bookstores or through um, uh, chapters. Amazon, uh, chapters, Barnes & Noble, etc. right? Yeah. yeah, it's widely available, yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's called Shattered. Um, it's by Arthur Bors. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, you've also got your own website. Let's not forget yeah. that. Great, yeah. Um right? That's correct, yeah. And um wow, it's been been great talking to you, Arthur. Thank you so much for joining us on Dutch the podcast. Thanks so much, Tom. I really appreciate this connection. Take care. Tot ziens. Tot ziens. <laughs> Tom, uh, thank you so much for bringing us that interview. What a really uh, poignant memoir. A very Canadian, very Dutch, uh, all at the same time. And uh, just a really uh, wild perspective uh, over the course of one's life. Thank you so much for that. Yeah, and, and thank you very much to Arthur uh, as well for sharing such intimate details of his um, his youth and his upbringing and his whole life uh, with us on this podcast. I, you know, I, I really admire that. Uh, we we tend to have these guests that do that. Uh, fascinating people with uh, a Dutch twist, as it were, uh, a link to the Netherlands, uh, which, by the way, now you have uh, right here through this podcast. So uh, don't forget to subscribe. All kinds of great guests previously. You can go and download those. Uh, and, of course, now uh, Dutch the Magazine, it's, it's available in digital form. Is it not, Tom? 
It is absolutely dutchthemedia.com. You can subscribe right there. Um, credit card, PayPal, um, whatever way works best anywhere in the world. Uh, so our Dutch listeners in Australia and the UK, or you don't have to be Dutch, of course, to listen. If you're interested in the Netherlands, pick up the magazine now in digital format on your tablet, your phone, uh, your your laptop, whatever works best for you and for, uh, you know, for access to all those back copies that we're putting up there as well. Uh, a fascinating addition to uh, uh, Dutch the Media. DutchTheMedia.com, you see it on the screen there. Uh, we'll encourage you to go and have a visit and certainly join us next time right here. Tom, thanks so much for Dutch the Podcast this time. Uh, we'll see you next time. See you next time. Some great guests coming up. Thanks, Mike. Thanks. Take care, Tom.